I remember for like a long period, I want to say it was probably like six weeks, they built a like blanket fort in our living room, but gross. Like it was out of mattresses and stuff and they lived in it. And rather than take the trash out, they would burn like chicken wings and pizza boxes in our blanket fort. <laughs> Olson Entertainment Group, this is Who Wrote That Book, where we interview authors and learn more about their life and work. Fall in love with your favorite author and story all over again. I'm Laura, and on this episode, how Chandler Baker went from ghostwriting on the side to writing a screenplay with Kristen Wiig based on her latest book. So you were born in Dallas and then you moved to Florida. What was your, so what was your childhood like? Like, what did you do for fun? Oh man, really bringing us back. <laughs> yes, yes. I feel like most people, most people, like anyone thinks anything, um, think that I'm from Dallas because I write a lot of, a lot about Texas because that's where I live now and um, my parents moved back there after I left for college. Um and now we're back in Florida again. So yeah, so I grew up until I was 10 in Dallas. Um, and then I was really into rollerblading. I was a really, a really great rollerblader, not to brag. <laughs> um, and street hockey. And then when I moved to Florida, uh, I moved to Florida when I was 10. And so that's where I went to like middle school and high school and everything. Um, and I don't know, I love Sarasota, my hometown, because it's on the beach. And instead of going to the mall, you know, we would go to the beach to meet up with friends and hang out there. I was really into reading uh, sort of up and up until, you know, mid high school. And then I think like a lot of people, I kind of took a hiatus in my reading for pleasure time until late college um, and refound the love of reading again at that point. Uh, so I was really into that. I was a big journaler. Um, I never, I was never considered myself a writer or tried to write stories very much, but I did keep um, a fastidious diary. So I kept a diary, you know, all through middle and high school, pretty much every single day. Um, and I'll never read them again. <laughs> um, and then other than that, gosh, I was really boy crazy. I will say that. <laughs> So you mentioned high school. What was your high school experience like? Did you love it or hate it? Because there's just no like in between. Yeah. Um, I probably was closer to hating it. I went to a great high school. I went to like a, a magnet school um, that was 2 through 12. So I was there for a long time. Uh, and it was, you know, a, like a school for the gifted. So we didn't have sports or anything like that. So it was not, you know, kind of your traditional, like, oh, there's like popular kids or anything. it wasn't that situation. I just felt very like self-conscious about, I always felt like people didn't like me or that I was doing something embarrassing. I think 
you know, looking back, probably like everyone felt at the time, but sort of to shield myself from that. I think I kind of distanced myself from a lot of, uh, especially the girls like within my high school. I, also, I was on the crew team, which was a club sport. So a lot of my female friends were all um, rowers and were on my sports team and I was very close with them and I still am. But, um, but I do kind of regret like taking myself out of the mix sort of like for, for some weird fear of being ostracized in high school that I don't think really existed, but existed in my head. Um, so yeah, I didn't have like a ton of friends in my actual high school. Did you do sports in college? Is that kind of how you got into the college life and things like that? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I was a coxswain in high school on the crew team. So I was recruited to do that in college. And I ended up picking the only school where I was going to be on the men's team. So I was, you know, the only woman on our men's crew team. Um, and I lived with the guys for a period of time. So I lived with 12 guys by myself, uh, which was like as disgusting as it sounds. And I super hard don't recommend it um, but uh yes so so I did I did crew the whole time that I was there and I sort of wish that I hadn't oh really that is so cool what were like some stories of living with the guys um honestly like I tried to not stay at our house a lot I would just stay with friends and things um they I remember for like a long period, I want to say it was probably like six weeks, they built a like blanket fort in our living room, but gross, like it was out of mattresses and stuff and they lived in it. And rather than take the trash out, they would burn like chicken wings and pizza boxes in our blanket fort that was in our house. Um, and it, so it smelled terrible. It was burning trash. <laughs> and it was just there for the longest time. They just like never moved out of it. So. The college life. Super fun. <laughs> you live in the dream. I know. I, you know, it's so funny. You look back on these things and I had this idea that because I was on the guys team that I wanted to, um, make girlfriends so I wanted to join a sorority and our team that I was recruited onto had a policy of like no Greek life you weren't allowed to be in a fraternity but I didn't have a ton of girlfriends because I was with all guys so that was kind of a big issue for me but they didn't want me to quit so they said okay um, you can join a sorority if you live with the guys because that will like keep you invested with the team and now looking back, why didn't I just say, no, I'm going to join a sorority and I'm going to live with whoever I want to live with. What are they going to do about it? Like, what, what were the consequences on the other side of this journey? Um, but, you know, you live and learn and then you get older and you're like, who is this 23-year-old coach that's in charge of me that's telling me this? <laughs> How dare he? I, <laughs> it was fine. It was, you know character building right 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 exactly humbling all that all mm -hmm. that stuff <laughs> yeah is that how you met your husband did you meet him at college no um no he I met Rob my husband he's about eight or nine years older than me I met him my the week of my uh, law school graduation so oh. um yeah we met on match.com <laughs> that is so cool 
which used to have like some kind of stigma and now I feel like it's just not even a thing um at the time it was kind of a, I don't know, something we didn't advertise but uh yeah and I had already accepted a job in in Dallas Fort Worth area when I met him and I was just like I'm moving sorry so <laughs> we'll see how it goes <laughs> Yeah. Just coming along with me, you know. Yeah, no, no, I ended up moving back <laughs> to Austin. So, but not until we got engaged. <laughs> that is so cool. So I, um, while I was researching, I read that you did some ghostwriting. Did you do that during college? Did you? Is that where you started? Uh, I started during law school. So I, I think I got my first ghostwriting job maybe my first or second year of law school. Um, and I was writing uh, some books for an existing middle grade series uh, where they needed an author just to continue along the storylines. So I wrote some super cute books that I, I really enjoy. And I did that, you know, through the time when I graduated law school to make some extra money. So I told myself, I think it was also just to avoid like the rejection that was coming with writing my own work at the time. It felt like a safe space to be able to, you know, write under this other name with somebody else's storyline and feel like I was getting my gold star for actually getting paid for it. And I think I used it as a way to avoid writing my own stuff for probably a little longer than I should. But it was a good boot camp that, you know, that I actually got paid to do. So that's good. That's so cool. I love that. I I don't blame you. I could totally, I would do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard when you're pursuing this new path you know I, I was pursuing being a lawyer and my family and friends understood that because there's this very clear thing you do you take the LSAT you go to law school you graduate you go through you know on-campus interviews you get a job and I was wanting to be a writer and it felt really embarrassing at the time to say that I wanted to be a writer so when I could get paid to be a writer doing this ghostwriting, I felt like it was something I could sort of like wave around and be like, listen, somebody is paying me to do this thing. Um, and I don't know how much of that was self-imposed and how much of it was truly that they were doubting me on some level. But, uh, but I think that's kind of the shield that I used it for to justify myself. No, that's literally, that is so genius. I, I, I don't blame you. I would seriously do the same thing. Is Did you just do ghostwriting or did you have like other jobs during that time? Um, during that time, I didn't have any other jobs other than going to law school. So, uh, you know, I was a full-time student. Well, and I guess I, I worked during the summer as a summer associate, like at actual law firms. And, um, you know, the last summer I was taking the bar. So I, was, I remember I was like, had a book due I think the week that I was taking the bar, which I do not think was a great idea, but it worked out and I passed, so we're all okay. <laughs> You're here now. Yes, yes, a dicey move. But... Gosh, how did you find the time like to do everything? That's so impressive. Um, I don't know. I, I Definitely my grades in law school, I'm sure, suffered because I had this other thing that I was really fascinated by trying to become a published author and um, just really putting my heart into. So uh, I could have spent more time <laughs> on my law studies. Um, but also I think my personality is kind of always to have a bunch of irons in the fire. So I, I'm sure I would have found something else if it wasn't writing that wasn't law school. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, gosh, it was so much easier back then than it is like with kids and a job and all that stuff. So <laughs> looking back now, I'm like, oh, well, that was, it was a lot of reading, a lot of writing because you're a student, but time-wise it wasn't as challenging. Totally, totally. Did you, so, um, so you did ghostwriting. How long did you do that for? You did that the whole time you were in law school and then you published your, your first book? Yeah, I was, um, I had, I had gotten a, and so I started kind of seriously writing, whatever that means, my, um, my junior year of college. So I had written a book, I'd written two books and I had gotten an offer of representation from my agent, uh, my like first month of law school. So I had that. And then, so we were submitting that book while I started to take on these ghostwriting things and, um, that book didn't sell. And then I took kind of my long break to just be ghostwriting. And then when I graduated, my agent was kind of like, okay, I think you need to try to write something of your own. Again, we need to try to sell something or, you know, you can't make a career off of just doing this. So I, I did write something uh, as a first year associate and we sold it my second year working at a law firm. Uh, and that was my first book, which was Alive. And that was published by Disney Hyperion. Uh, and then I just kind of kept kept going from there. You mentioned that book didn't didn't sell. How did you go through those you know those emotions? Um, I think my superpower I've come to realize is I like I'm not disappointed for very long by bad news. Like I don't I don't know I just don't internalize bad news very well or very deeply, which is great I guess in some ways so I would hear something bad and I'd get a rejection but it just never stuck that long I was always like okay what's next what are we going to do next how are we going to move forward um and you know I always just kept getting like just enough success to keep going so um I don't know, like, I, I felt very buoyed, I guess, by the fact that I had gotten these ghostwriting gigs, which I'd kind of gotten on my own. I felt very buoyed by the fact that I had gotten this agent. Gosh, there was a time in my life where I thought, like, if I can just get an agent, like, I will consider that success, you know? If I can just get a book deal, I'll consider that success. Uh, so I just kept kind of, like, chasing those little milestones that I had set for myself. Um, and... And yeah, I, I, I really just try to focus on like celebrating even small, small victories. Like I feel like I'm good at like holding space for those things. Like, oh, I finished writing a draft. Okay, I'm going to like go have a glass of champagne by myself for that. You know, I, I, I feel like I've always been kind of good about making time for those mile markers. I love that. I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. I, I, I struggle with that, you know, rewarding yourself for even like the little mm -hmm. things. Yeah. I, I think everybody does. Um, but I don't know. I think I recognized sort of from the beginning that it was important. I mean, I remember in law school being, you know, single by myself and finishing a draft of this book that I'd been trying to write for my, for myself to get published. And, just be like, gosh, what do I want to do? Okay, I'm going to get, you know, grocery store sushi and like an Izzy and like pour it in a nice glass because I was broke and I was like, that's going to be my celebration. But it was, you know, setting that intention that, okay, this is because you've done something good and you deserve this. Literally, like, <laughs> we're the same person. 
This is just so cool. So, um, so you were in law school then, uh, you know, obviously you, you worked at like a firm. How long did you do that for? Um, I mean, it's kind of a mushy answer because I had a contract, right? So, I mean, eight years, I guess I was at my firm full time. And then I left my full-time law practice to write full-time, but I kept a contract rate um, where I could, if I worked for my firm, then they would pay me. And I actually just went inactive as a lawyer last week. So I feel like that's been a big <laughs> thing that I'm processing, but yes, that happened. That happened. What? Are you sad about that? Happy? That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, Gosh, you know, there were just so many times where I thought like, oh, I would love to find, you know, an exit ramp to be able to write full time. Um, but definitely now that I've done it, I'm having more mixed feelings about it than I thought I would. And of course, I can always reinstate it if I want to. But, um, you know, it's just like you work hard on this one path. And there was a time, you know, that I would have been up for partner the next year that after, before I left. But, you know, I left. I've, I've been gone really not working at all for three years. So it's been a long exit ramp and I felt like, okay, I just need to get off the service road and like, let's, let's go. Let's not have to worry about the lawyer stuff at all right now. So I don't totally, you know, it's, it's a transition writing full time and writing, like working for yourself full time. I, I feel like for a long time I've kind of struggled with finding the balance of how to make my day-to-day -day work because your time is so nebulous when you don't have like a office to go into and you don't see any faces every every January my new year's resolution resolution is like find a better structure for your day find a better balance and how to make things work more smoothly and I'm still working on it I guess to jump into your book, Whisper Network, mm -hmm. which is genius and fantastic and everything. When I read it, I kept thinking, how did she, how did she do this? There are four different perspectives going on. The storyline just sinks all together. How did you, how did you come up with the story? And then how did you organize everything? It's very impressive. Thank you. Um, let's see. How did I come up with the story? I mean, the title came really early on, Whisper Network. So I kind of knew that I wanted to look at um, Whisper Networks and how they were actually implemented in different work environments and sort of like the systemic um, shortfalls of them and when they serve women really well. So I knew I liked that idea. Um, before Whisper Network, I'd been writing young adult fiction, and this was my first book for adults. So I, you know, I think things just kind of marinated within us, right? And there, I had been reading a lot of like adult women's suspense and 
with my own book club and I was a new mom at a law firm and I was like, you know what, I'm going to for the first time not process something that did happen to me like in my high school years as a teen, but I'm going to process like what the life stage that I'm going through right now. So um, I think like the first line that came to me in Whisper Network was one of the first lines in the book, was which was like we fell asleep with the heat of laptops burning our thighs and that was what my life was at the moment at that moment you know I was putting the baby to bed and then getting back to work at the law for my for my legal work and falling asleep with my laptop on the couch and uh, it was such a blur so I really just tried to make sure that for every character like I was speaking something um, that was true for me or for one of my friends and that felt really relatable and I was constantly just taking notes in a composition book about like what how I thought about what work life was like for modern women right now and finding ways to work the book around those ideas. Um, and, you know, then structurally, I, you know, I had like a big, once I got farther along in the book, I got like a big cork board and put like colored note index cards for each of the characters and just kind of laid out so I could see like when things were happening and making sure that there was a sense of balance because it can get super unwieldy when you know you have four point of view characters that you have to balance and make it feel like it's not so heavy and for one character um so then i would say i would see like in colors okay well i haven't seen you know grace for a while i need for grace to have something to do like what do i what experience do i have from my notes that I, these observations that i've been taking that i could lend to grace and um, let her have a moment and how can that move the mystery plot forward so um, it was brain breaking at times, <laughs> uh, but it was also a fun puzzle to solve. And I don't know, I felt like the experience of writing that book was was very joyful. And Whisper Network, it portrays sexism in the workplace to a T. I mean, even while I was reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, seen that before, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. have that, you know, have that experience. Did you have experience in your like corporate career with things like that? I mean, you don't have to go into too much detail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, not all of it is nefarious. I, you know, I tell a story in the author's note, I think, about uh, a partner, you know, that kept me late um, my first day back from maternity leave. And I, you know, it was like my literal first day back. So my daughter was 12 weeks old and um, he ended up keeping me till like eight or nine o'clock at night. And, you know, my husband had to drive her, my daughter up and I nursed her in the parking garage for 20 minutes before going back to work. And that was just such a hard moment to be reintegrated into work and have that happen um, in such a tender time and motherhood in general. And, and you know, that the man that, that did that, you know, he was a father of four kids, of four young children. And I don't think he was doing it to be mean. And I don't think he had ill intentions. I think he just had a huge blind spot because of the, the support that he receives at home uh, from his stay-at-home wife. And I think, uh, could I have said something and made 
you know, press the issue, of course, but I think women are always doing sort of this social calculus in their heads about, you know, when, how many times do we want to play that card? And if I play it now, will I need that card later? Uh, and just being really conscious of that all the time. And, you know, of, of course I had, you know, a few experiences of actual like predatory behavior when I was a much younger lawyer. I don't think they're anything worse than anything that happens at like every other company, let alone firm that I've heard from many of my friends. Um, there can be a lot of great people in a company or a law firm and it only takes, you know, one or two men or women being protected that are exhibiting predatory behavior to be really damaging for the workplace. Uh, but certainly during that time as the Me Too movement was unfolding, a lot of what I was feeling was like, I'm so glad we have everyone's attention about uh, sexual harassment and overt sexism. But, you know, while we have it, there's all these other sort of particularities that women are dealing with in the workplace that we would like people to pay attention to also. And um, a lot of them are more subtle, things like the motherhood bias or the micro demands on our time or the social deference to male voices, like all these things in the aggregate uh, just just add an, add an added layer of challenge to, to women's lives. And I was really excited to try to shed some light on those as well amen <laughs> literally, everything literally everything you said amen <laughs> thank you that is well very well said that's fantastic I'm, I mean everyone's curious about like the publishing process and all that fun stuff how long did it take to publish your book like what were the hills and valleys yeah um, <laughs> Whisper Network was, um, not the norm, and I've definitely been through the norm of what publishing is like. It's a slow beast. Um, I'll just say typically it takes from sale, from, like, a book being done and sold to when it hits shelves, like, 18 months to two years. Um, I, from idea that I had with it not even being sold not started writing to the book coming out took a little over a year so I wrote the proposal in about two months I sold it overnight and finished writing it in sort of a whirlwind and then it came out you know the next year so it was fast and furious um I, you know, we really just felt like there was a moment in time and that I really had something to say and we felt like I was a, a one good person to say it uh, amongst many other voices. So, you know, we all just kind of moved heaven and earth to, like, to get the book out, which we did. Oh my gosh. How did you, I mean, did you have like four arms? Like how did you? <laughs> the Writing the proposal was, I think, the worst, the worst part because... I was working full time and with a very small child and, you know, nothing was giving yet at that point in my life because I didn't write enough to, I mean, I didn't make enough to take any time as a writer to take any time off or to make any changes. So we were truly just trying to make it work. Um, and it was just such a blur of writing every spare second I could because I just had this, I had this idea that like this 
book would possibly be something if I did it right and if I gave it the proper attention. Um, I don't know. So it was kind of just this out-of-body experience of trying to just get that proposal into like the best shape I could. And uh, my agent and I really just did so much, so much fast work on that book to get it to get it where it could sell. And obviously it, it paid off. So yeah, definitely. It, it is one of the best books I've read. Whisper Network was, um, I guess what got me back into reading. I, I really hadn't read for a long time, oh, but after you. I read that, I was like, oh, I've been missing out. What the heck? <laughs> That's so nice to hear. Yeah, definitely. So when I was doing, uh, you know, some research, so Whisper Network, it influenced your book, the husbands, which I thought was really cool. How did, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, after I, you know, published Whisper Network, I had another book on my contract and I really wanted to get another book out. I mean, I was in this new position of kind of writing more full-time ish. I still kind of was maintaining a part-time gig there at the law firm at the time, but, uh, I was, you know, writing full-time. I was like, I got to sell a book. So I wrote this book and I turned it in and my editor was like, I don't think this should be your next book. Like, I don't think this is it. I don't, I don't think you should, I think you should scrap it and start over, which is such a scary thing because that could, that basically sets you back a year when, you know, my family was depending on my income as a lawyer. I mean, as a writer at that point. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll just come up with another idea, but I, it ended up being harder than I thought. And then, um, at the same time, so then, then Whisper Network came out. That was that happened right before Whisper Network actually hit shelves. And so, as I was talking to people about Whisper Network, I was going to a lot of book clubs. I was speaking to women's groups, um, and I feel like so many women would start to you know have some version of like, what can we do to make corporate culture better for women? Like, what are the next steps? Um, and a lot of times they would also expand and say, you know, it's not always that I don't, that I feel like I'm not being offered more responsibility or I'm not being offered promotions at work. It's that I feel so loaded down at home that I don't feel like I can take on any more responsibility at work. Uh, like they were opting out, they were putting themselves on mommy tracks. They were taking less high powered jobs because, um, they felt guilty about their home life. And I related to that so strongly because there was a time after I had my first child, my daughter, that I considered just asking for a reduction in pay at work because I just wanted to do anything I could to sort of alleviate the guilt that I felt that I was failing like a little bit at home and at work. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just reduce, reduce my pay and that'll help. Uh, thankfully, I, I read a book at the around that time called I Know How She Does It that sort of convinced me not to do that. Um, but... Uh, I started having those thoughts from my readers in my mind. And then I went on this girl's trip with a couple of my law school friends and we stayed at a hotel overnight and we started talking about the book Fair Play, which is a book by Eve Brodsky that's sort of a nonfiction book about the division of domestic labor. And, you know, what struck me was like how much we talked and talked and talked and talked about it. Um, and I thought, okay, like there's, there's something here um, to, to explore. And sort of that week, I just had this idea of like, what would a gender flip Stepford Wives look like? Like what commentary could that provide on modern marriage and on, you know, the, 
um, invisible labor that women do and the emotional burden we carry and and that's how I got to the husbands oh my goodness that is so cool I didn't know that thanks yeah it was um it was definitely a bit of a swing I you know whisper network is so sort of straightforward contemporary and um Spence and sending that this idea of this kind of like offbeat thing I had to my editor I was like you might think I'm crazy but I'm wondering what do you think about this idea but she is kind of in the exact same life stage as me um we both have two small children and uh she she got it immediately because of that and she was like yes yes this is what it's supposed to be <laughs> so cool and I read I'm curious of how you kind of process this news I mean the husbands, you know, MGM mm-hmm. bought rights to, to make it into a, a movie. I mean, yes. how did, were you sitting down? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really crazy. We went out with a manuscript that was not fully edited yet, but my film agent was just like, let's just, you know, send it out to a few people and see on, on Friday if anyone's interested and on Sunday you know my film agent emailed me and was like hey Kristen Wig wants to talk to you tomorrow morning on Monday and I was like like actual Kristen Wig or like her assistant or what but you know the next day Kristen was on the phone um talking to me about the book that she read over the weekend and she just really was like I'll I want to be involved you know I, w- I would love to play Nora I would love to be whoever I can be and I hear you want to write the script so um, I want to help you in any way I can to make sure that you get to write the script so she introduced me to Dee Dee Gardner at Plan B which is Brad Pitt's production company and um, and then they introduced me to MGM and so it all just kind of came together really organically and um, yeah now I'm, I'm writing the script with with them and it's going along and that's been a big shift in my my writing time as well to take on more screenwriting but um but I've really liked it that is so cool that is a dream <laughs> yeah it really has been a dream I mean it was it's something I've had in my sights for a little while and it was kind of trying to find the right project where I felt like I could I could make it happen but um but then I was able to push for it and get it so it's great listening to this episode of who wrote that book featuring chandler baker she is an absolute superwoman and i enjoy talking to her so much you can find out more on what chandler's up to on instagram twitter and tiktok at chandler baker books follow us on instagram at who wrote that book to be updated with upcoming episodes behind the scenes and more always share the love and leave a review it helps us to know what you guys are thinking about the show give us some feedback and it also helps us to be easier to find on all streaming platforms we'll see you guys next time on who wrote that book hosted by me laura